This week's podcast brought to you by Mustache Wax. When I went to Louisville and got to my hotel, I went to my hotel room. And sometimes, I think because we're part of the ESPN group when we travel, I might have something left in my room. Sometimes it's a little fruit plate or there might be some cookies. But this time it was two giant Rice Krispie treats. And I've actually posted that online. And it made me wonder if the person at this particular hotel had really done their due diligence and looked online. Because why else would I have Rice Krispie treats? Neither Kara Lawson nor Adam Amin had Rice Krispie treats. They had chocolates or something. But... um I thought that was interesting and very thoughtful. Do you think they Google all of their guests and find what dessert treat no, they, but they I, like No, but I'm still a little bit baffled as to why why I had those. But I appreciated it. Well, they must have known you from somewhere. Didn't a guy in Austin recognize you as the... He said, to, there's a guy in Austin who took, my, took a picture with me and he said, you're the girl from Ball and Chain. So there you go. A guy said that same thing to me. <laughs> Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. So I was traveling a lot this weekend on a lot of different flights. Anything exciting happen in the sports world? Uh, well, you wouldn't know because you didn't get to see the Vikings-Saints game. You were in an airport somewhere. I still don't know where you were. I was that... in Detroit as the game was happening, and it was it was a finishing. I was on the plane from Detroit to Austin, and you were texting me updates of what was going on. You were on the plane. I thought you were in some airport that did not have a TV, and I didn't know how that was possible in 2018. Well, no. I was at my gate in Detroit where there weren't any seats for me to sit in because the new thing at that airport, anybody who's been there, in some of the at some of the gates, they've removed the seats and put in these big plush circular chairs that fit a third of the amount of people. And the gate I was at was also the children's gate. So there was a giant chessboard with like four foot tall pieces. There was a TV there, but it was playing Nickelodeon or Disney or one of those channels where if you and I were traveling with our kids, we would have been thrilled with that. But in this situation, I wanted to be watching the football game. So that was the scenario. As a result, in the most dramatic moments in Minnesota Vikings history, I was having to text you play-by-play, literally play-by-play of what was happening. Well, you didn't. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't burdensome. It was the basic. I was just asking, what's what's happening? And things that were happening weren't necessarily good from a Minnesota perspective. Yes. you, You had some curse word. You don't ever curse in text, ever. No. And if I look back For, through our text chain, there were quite a few Quite a few duckings. Words. Yes, there were some duckings. Is that what your autocorrect turns into? Of course it does. <laughs> no, I was actually typing ducking. Yes. Well, yes, there were a lot of duckings. But as that. a result, I, I, I set the table for you that New Orleans was about to kick a game-winning field goal. They would leave the Vikings 25 seconds to try to pull off some miracle, which eventually became 10 seconds. And either one final play or a final play, get out of bounds and kick a field goal that would almost certainly be disastrous for the Vikings if you know their history. And uh, so I believe the last text you got from me when you apparently were on the airplane was, um, 
You said there they have 17 seconds left or whatever 10 it was, seconds. and they have to go this many 61 yards. 61 yards. And so I just said, I'm sorry. <laughs> you didn't just say, I'm sorry. You said, you said. Um, Did I say I'm ducking sorry? Yeah. Well, when they, kicked the, when they were kicking the field goal, you said, they break your heart every time. Which is, was true. Yeah. It, when, when, when there was one play left, I believe you said, I'm sorry. And then the next text you got from me, well, no, I think then I got a text from you saying like, question mark, question mark, question mark. Like right. what happened? What happened? And I sent you a text that said touchdown. It was the circumstances were too ridiculous to for me to describe in a text. Plus, at that point, at the moment of the touchdown, my phone turned to ash in my hand. It had melted down with incoming video, uh, photographs, texts of disbelief, and and frankly, I was in disbelief. My our son had his head buried between two couch cushions. Now, he's a Giants fan, but he's, as, as their season was a disaster, he became invested in the Vikings and was all in, as he is whenever a sporting event is on TV. He was completely committed to whoever he's rooting for. In this case, it was the Vikings. He had his head buried between two sofa cushions. He couldn't watch. But I, I got him to pop his head out and, and watch the final play of the game. And for those people who don't know, you grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota. You are a lifelong Vikings fan. Well, I'm we a lifelong sure. Minnesotan. I, I, right. I grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota. I worked at uh, Vikings games as a kid. And when I was 14 years old, the Vikings played the Browns for, uh, for the playoff spot at stake. If they won the game, they won the Central Division and went to the playoffs. And they, had, they were down 23-9 to in the fourth quarter. Now, I, I stabbed hot dogs in the commissary that the vendors then took around to sell in the stands. And but we were usually done uh, by the fourth quarter. We were done in the seventh inning of Twins games and done in the fourth quarter of Vikings games. And but I stayed around. I, I, we usually killed as much time as we could before punching out to try to steal money from you know our three dollar and thirty five cent an hour wage. And uh, I was as a result, I was punching out at the end of the game in the tunnel uh, when and watching the end of the game on TV when uh, Tommy Kramer through a long touchdown, Hail Mary, to Ahmad Rashad, who caught it in the end zone. The stadium was shaking. Now I was inside, underneath the stadium, in the bowel, the proverbial bowels of the stadium. And these, you talk about irritable bowels. This stadium was shaking, uh, deafening. I thought it might collapse. I thought my internal organs might collapse. I feared for a moment that I was dying. And uh, almost within a minute of this happening, and I'm watching on a security guard's TV that, that is resting on a folding chair. The players themselves who are on TV now are, are going off screen and coming in through the tunnel as if they have stepped off the TV and into my world. And it was in that moment, it was one of a few moments that I remember as a kid where I thought if I could just keep this job forever, or at least keep a job in the stadium forever, you know, I, I'd, be a, I'd be a happy person. And, and and it turns out you can do that. Well, I don't get to watch any football. Once January comes, I miss all NFL football because women's basketball's days on ESPN are Sundays and Mondays. So I'm either in studio on Sundays or Sundays I'm traveling to call a game somewhere Monday. So this has been my life. I can remember, I don't know how many years ago, it was, it must have been the divisional playoff game, and I was flying to... 
Knoxville and we landed and the pilot announced the score of the Colts game and every, and they'd won and everybody on the plane just erupted in cheers. And it took me a few seconds to figure out, oh, of course, everyone here is a Peyton Manning fan. I'm in Knoxville. But that's that's how I've gotten most of my football news. At least now I can like when I was in the air, I was able to see the, the remarkable catch at the end of the game because someone posted it on Twitter. But for the most part, my, my football comes secondhand from listening to people talking about it in airports. Well, And your working every Sunday and Monday has also robbed me of the That's pleasure true. of watch, <laughs> watching football. That's true, because you are then taking all of our kids to right, their games right. or watch it's it's like our house when especially when they were little it that was like that gate at the Detroit airport where while you may have been wanting to watch whatever football game was on instead it was on Disney or Nickelodeon or whatever our children were watching and the other thing i'm thinking of is wi-fi and sometimes this the little TVs in the back of the airplane seat have robbed the pilots of the enormous power they once wielded to announce a score or to announce scores of a game in progress. Now everybody knows the scores as they're filing off, but imagine the power in the hands of a pilot if he had announced, you know, the Saints have just taken a two-point lead or whatever the heck it was against the Vikings. Now there's 10 seconds left, and then he, his next announcement is that the Vikings have won the game, Right. especially if you're on a Minneapolis-bound airplane. Now, I was 14 working in the commissary at Met Stadium. What were you doing at 14? Employment-wise, because your parents, I think like mine, required you to be working from about the age of eight on. I don't know that my parents told us we had to work, but our town, there wasn't much to do in the summertime. I didn't have neighbors that were nearby, so everybody in the town worked in the tobacco fields. In Massachusetts, they grow shade tobacco, which is tobacco that is not used for cigarettes, but is used for the cigar wrappers. And so from the time you were 14, you could work in an agricultural industry. So that's where I worked. You'd work all summer. It was a hard job. You're outside. You're you're just filthy when you come home. For the most part, for much of the summer, you'd be working under the nets, which is 10 degrees warmer than outside of the nets. And then, But at least in, you're working in the tobacco industry right. at age 14. <laughs> exactly. I think that's... Uh... Exactly. But you know what? It's, it taught me a great work ethic. There were certain things that you could do that you got paid by how much you did. And so I loved that because I was motivated to... I wasn't even saving up for anything in particular, but um, I was motivated by that. And then when I when I graduated from college and started earning a living playing basketball, I used to think in my mind when I would you know see a check or see money, oh this is how many this is how many rows I tied, this is how many bents I sewed. Like in my brain, it, it really taught me the value of money working in the tobacco fields. But everyone from Southwick, Massachusetts, that's what you did. Westfield, Massachusetts, that's what you did for your summer job was you worked in the tobacco fields. Now, as a fourteen year old girl, did you were you did you get deep discounts on cigars and right. other tobacco products from the <laughs> yes. company store? They had the company store where you could go in and uh, show them your ID, and and but you didn't have any filling. You just got the wrappers and had to figure right. out what to do with them. <laughs> so when I've been at the airport, not only have I been you know waiting for football scores and updates, but I've been I had dealing with some flight delays. And my favorite happened again in Detroit, but this is a different flight. This was when I was going to Louisville about a week ago. And it was kind of late at night and I'm just waiting and and the, the gate agent comes over and says, you know, she was just about to board us. We all had to sit back down because one of the taillights was out on the plane. And I mean, obviously you need taillights when you're driving a car. So the car immediately behind you knows when to brake. I don't know exactly why you need a taillight on a plane, 
Uh, but, presumably so you don't get pulled over by by the sky police <laughs> right. for having a missing taillight. Right. But my favorite was, as she's trying to explain to us what's going on, her, her verbiage was, we are waiting on mechanics to return from the storage facility and, quote, pop that piece into place. So um, so this is how important it was. They needed to pop that piece into place. Had the and, plane dislocated its shoulder, perhaps? <laughs> right, exactly. And so we're waiting. You know, she said it's going to be about 15 minutes, which was clearly just a guess. And a half hour later, the pilot comes out and he said, you know, we thought it was a bulb, but it was. Uh, and then he holds up the bulb, which is literally the size of like a, a bulb from a, a Christmas light. The pilot put was on changing it? No, he was just he was just telling us. So but why did he have the bulb? They in his gave hand? him the bulb, but he was very—he was a young guy too. I would say he's in his thirties, early thirties, and he. But he proudly holds up the bulb, and then he said, "But it's actually a fuse." And he said, "They've gone to the maintenance facility, maintenance facility," and then his quote was, "They are throwing it on board right now." So I just like that the woman said they're popping it into place. He said they're throwing it on board right now, and it made you feel really confident in the process that the Delta Airlines was using to fix the plane. We did safely get to Louisville. We didn't get pulled over midair, so uh, apparently our blinker and our taillight and everything else worked. How great would it be if airplanes had blinkers? Well, <laughs> and, and it was left. The left the turn left signal turn. was left on the right. entire time. <laughs> right. All the, way, the older, the, the older, older pilots would leave the left the plane. Uh, turn signal. Well, on. there's that great passage in Tom Wolfe's book, "The Right Stuff," about this U.S. You know, the pioneering astronauts of the U.S. space program, and how Chuck Yeager's um, kind of relaxed drawl became the model for all commercial airline pilots then of the '60s and '70s and and today, and and. It, and comforting, and I, and I like that when they're just throwing something on the plane, they're going to pop something back into place, and, and you get the feeling that it's just all you know one kind of happy uh, slapdash operation, not in a bad way, but in you know when when there's turbulence, you know we're experiencing a few bumps here. When you go into a ten thousand foot free fall, you know we're we're uh, you know maybe some mild discomfort as we go through a few squalls, you know, and mild I love discomfort. that. The guy may be, may be terrified inside, but it, it has a soothing effect on, on the passengers. So when they're popping something into place or, or uh, putting something on the plane, I, I like that. This particular flight, and this is totally a non sequitur, but this particular flight, I was sitting in my seat and this guy got on the flight and he had the most majestic beard I've ever seen. It was like a ZZ Top kind of beard. And it came down and he caught me kind of staring at him. I, but I wasn't really staring at him. I was staring at his beard as he was coming by. Did he say, my eyes are up here? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he said. But uh, but he got on. He was a younger guy. I'd say he was in his 20s. But I was just looking at this beard and thinking, like, how exactly do you take care of that? Do you shampoo it? Of course do you, you do. You, but do they make special combs for beards or brush for beards or, like, detangling? spray you know sometimes our, our daughters need detangling spray for their hair like i don't live in this world we've talked about this before you know things that you don't know exist so i'm just wondering if yeah. if you had that absolutely you know, cascading I, down your chin exactly how do you take care of it? as a sports writer the only thing i've ever had cascading down my chin is usually uh soup. cheese and yeah. yes broccoli <laughs> soup but uh of course since the rise of the beard as a hipster affectation there there has to have grown up around it a whole line of uh, industry, industry uh, yeah. of beard grooming products from shampoos to beard wax to and then i saw another guy at the airport who had the handlebar mustache that had been finely gelled 
I believe it's called Wax. I'm not sure. Who is the famous Pat Riley gelling back his? Who is the famous actor who? Salvador Dali, Raleigh Fingers. Yes. Well, he was a baseball player. He was a pitcher. So, but anyway, that's what that's the guy. And and just so you know, Salvador Dali was neither a pitcher nor an actor. He He was was an artist. Yes, there you go. I know that. So was Raleigh Fingers. Yeah. Well, exactly in that world. So it's mustache wax. Yes. And and. Like we've, I've got to go to a Sally's beauty supplier, a store. No, no, just there, there, to, there, there's, there's, there are, are there entire beard-related shops. The Art of Shaving, I think, is the name of the place, well, which really stretches the boundaries of, right. of art. Hence your Salvador Dali. So um, I, I need to go into one of those places and just explore that world that I'm, I'm completely unaware of. I digress. As a middle-aged woman going into the art of shaving, <laughs> looking for beard grooming products, I think that would be a... I think that would be entertaining for all involved. It wasn't just the the lingo of the flight attendants and the pilot that kept me entertained in my delay, though. There was also a tweet and a Facebook post by a guy named Matthew Bartleson. And in, in the post, he had talked about how he was on the phone with his 72-year-old mother and somehow the term side piece came up. He used the term side piece and she didn't know what that meant. And so he had to explain it to her. And so in her lingo, he said, you know, when you talk about so-and-so is running around with someone else, that's what it means. And, and in the post, he wrote about how within minutes in their conversation, not only did she understand what side piece meant, but she was able to effectively use it in conversation and it made me think about your dad and some of the things that have been said around him, but that he sort of changes in his own wonderful way and then uses in a much better and funnier context than the one that he heard and one that he learned. Well, I think the most famous example in our family is he heard some Cretan describing somebody as having some junk in the trunk and... Uh, Dad, not paraphrasing this, but thinking he was quoting it directly, reported to us that uh, this person had described somebody as having trash in the can, which really was an improvement, I think. Well, that's the one you and I use now. We don't ever use junk in the trunk. But when we're just joking around about something and want to invoke your father, we'll say, wow, that person has some serious trash in the can. But I, I, I embrace his, uh, his completely tuning out, you know, at some point, new slang, because you sound even older to use whatever the newest term is for something. Personally, I thought side piece was some kind of firearm used by a policeman <laughs> or, or a, a sidebar. But um, so, yeah, I applaud that on his part. Now, you're talking about a flight delay. That reminds me, my brother was once delayed out of O'Hare, and they had to clear O'Hare from a bomb threat or some security reason, and they were all waiting outside. I think it had started to rain, and the gentleman standing next to him at the curb smoking and and uh, seething about this interruption to his flight, looked at the sign at O'Hare that said, Welcome to Chicago, Richard M. Daly, Mayor, D-A-L-E-Y. And he said, he just looked at my brother and said, it should say Richard M. DeLay. <laughs> I appreciated that. I'm sure that you did. If it sounds a little disjointed today. I'm working on about three hours of sleep after my flight home from Austin, where they were getting a little tiny bit of ice, and so it canceled a ton of flights. And um, I'm working on about three hours of sleep after your flight back from Austin as well. So, How come you only had three hours of because sleep? Because you were in Austin. 
Okay, fair enough. Well, before I left, our seven-year-old had a basketball game, not one that I coach. She not only plays for me on her school team, but she plays on the town team or one of the town teams in the Park and Rec League. And I, there's so much to love about Park and Rec sports, including this. So we're, I'm watching her play at a local elementary school gym. And the coaches are also the referees for the game, which makes sense. They're on the court. These are seven-year-olds. They're both coaching them and also, you know, trying to help them navigate. At this age, they're not calling traveling. They're not calling double dribble. They're not calling any of that stuff. But the best moment of the game was when the coach, the dad uh, of one of the players, his wife ran out on the court during the action, handed him their infant so that she could then run off and chase their toddler who had left the gym. So now this coach is like jogging up and down the court, refing and coaching while holding his infant and uh, frankly doing a great job at all of the things. And then eventually once his wife had corralled their, their toddler and brought him back into the gym, she was able to run back on the court during the action and make the exchange of the infant back to the mom. It was equally or more entertaining than the basketball that was actually happening on the floor. I wasn't there, but I understand there was a horrifying moment when uh, at the foul line when the referee said, gentlemen, we're shooting too. And he, and he actually bounced the baby to the free throw See, shooter. That's that... not even funny. That's such an, oh, <laughs> an awful visual. But uh, but also my, my producer that I've been uh, working with <laughs> the last few weeks on our games, he has a Uh, son in fifth grade and he's one of his son's coaches and so we exchange some coaching stories and my favorite which I am going to bring up probably every time I work with him is that he has his pregame ritual when he when he my producer when he was a player as a boy his ritual was he would take a shower before every game so now he's coaching his son he's the assistant coach but he has the same ritual. He has to shower before every one of his son's 10-year-old boys basketball games. And he's talking about playing in a tournament at uh, you know some rec center or something. I said, just please tell me you didn't have to shower before both games and go in the locker room and say, kids, all right, out of here. I got to do my good luck shower. Like the whole notion. I mean, our kids, don't even, me up. our kids don't shower after their games, and they actually played in right, the games. Right, right. I don't, I don't have any coaching rituals, and I don't even do, like, the post-mortem with the team. As soon as the game's over, kids, I know what it's like to be the parent who just sat for an hour or two watching games, just go home. We can talk about whatever we need to talk about later, but uh, but maybe I will. Maybe I'll start getting a, a, some sort of a pregame ritual and see if that helps our teams at all. We had another nice refereeing moment this weekend. We have a ref frequently. I think he's a full-time ref. I think his entire source of income is, is refereeing basketball. He referees so much that he's making a living out of refing youth games. He's a good ref. He does crunches and and sit-ups and push-ups during timeouts. Leg raises. Leg like, raises. Yeah. You know, a lot of refs will go shoot three-pointers uh, during timeouts. He, this guy's, This guy's. you know, he's doing nine games in a row if he's going to get his workout, and it's during the course of the day. So it was our 11-year-old daughter's basketball game. It was a game I was helping coach. Yes. And it was between the third and fourth quarter. And we, had, we were done talking to the kids. And the ref was sitting down doing crunches. And one of the girls on our team said, let's go join the ref. And so I said to her, sure, if you want to. 
never thinking that she would. So not only did she go over, but her 11 teammates also went over and all 12 girls on both sides of the ref just get down and started doing the crunches or the leg raises or whatever it was with him. In the middle of the game. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the game. For, not not with action out, going but... on. In the timeout. And so after the game, he said to the girls, he said, you want to know why I do this? And he picked out his phone and he pulled up a picture and it was a before and after picture of him. And now he's a really fit guy, tall, athletic, fit guy. And he showed them, he said, this is my before picture. He said, I've lost 50 pounds and it was him shirtless. And then next to it was another picture where you could see like ripped up abs and whatever else. And he said, you know, you really have to make sure to eat right and take care of yourself and, and take care of your body. But it was, it was nice. He's a good guy. He's a really good ref. In any other circumstance, you would say, yeah, he was showing his shirtless picture to the girls. It wasn't creepy in any way. It was very appropriate. I wasn't really able to fully enjoy that moment because I was running the scoreboard for the first time oh in my, my life. Oh, my gosh. It was one of those portable plastic scoreboards that you, you No, know, no, not the kind you flip you. the numbers. It was electronic. No, it was electronic, but still. It, it was a sophisticated 10... piece of electronics. <laughs> Anyone who understands what it was, it was one of those plastic scoreboards. I will post a picture of one on our on our Instagram page. I don't know why the and, composition of being plastic made it any less complicated well, it, than it. It's, you plug the time in. There's a start and a stop button, which are the same button. And then there's a plus and minus for the score. Well, it was fascinating. And, there, was, there was a volume button on the horn. So I could crank up the volume on the horn or crank it down. Well, I left it as it was. The best part was you were, you, you, the kids were not with you. You were alone. We asked you if you could do the scoreboard and you were a bit nervous. You came over. So I've never done this before. Keeping in mind our normal scoreboard operator who wasn't there is our 13 year old daughter. So she's, nor- they said, where's, you know, where's Siobhan? We need our scoreboard operator. Well, she's not here, but if we have to, we can use Steve. And so it was like mission control at NASA. This, this oh my deck of electronics in front there of me. Was a I was start- wearing a short sleeve white dress shirt and a skinny tie <laughs> and black framed glasses. <laughs> there was a start and stop button that you had to worry about. We didn't, you didn't need to keep twice, track of fouls. Twice I, I forgot to start the clock. Well, when the game first started, it's like 10 seconds into the game, the horn went off. What happened there? I don't know. Well, it wasn't my doing. 10 you know, seconds my, into the my game. My finger was poised on the start and stop button. I think it may have, I may have had it on the uh, horn button instead. Ten, 10 seconds into the game, the horn goes off. And uh, the coaches on this team, there's three male coaches and me, and um, all good guys. And once the, the, as soon as the horn went off, all three of them looked at me and just started laughing because they too were worried that instead of our 13-year-old daughter, they had you running the clock. But you were you were very proud of yourself after that game that all you had were those two mix up. Fortunately, it was not a close game at all. So forgetting to start the clock or even if you had forgotten to put points on the board, it wouldn't have affected anybody. At one point, trying to stop the clock, I inadvertently sent a false report of a missile strike, yeah. missile launch to, <laughs> to Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part, the game is over. So later that day, our older daughter has a game and you start telling me about all the specs of the clock because after you had successfully worked the the clock, you had gone online to see how much they cost. And all of a sudden now you decided that for some reason we need one of these in our lives. And you said, this is why you wanted one. I'm I'm guessing this is what you're going to say so that we could use it as 
Well, one of the one of the functions. Now you have the basketball mode, you have a volleyball mode, you have a wrestling mode, and a judo mode. You, seriously? You do. Okay. I've studied this. I have a picture mode. of it. Okay. I'll, I'll post the picture of the sophisticated electronic board that I had that I with no training, right. without a PhD in electrical engineering, had to operate with without without a moment's notice. But one of the modes, the final mode, is just clock slash alarm. So you could use this as your day-to-day -day alarm clock. Set it, get, get a large nightstand and set this down. Now you'd have the, the glow of the, of the numbers in your face like Kramer with the Kenny Rogers roaster sign blasting him all night. But imagine that, you're woken by a horn from a, from a basketball gym. You... That, the same horn that, that tells you it's time to check in, you can sub in, could wake you every morning. You could be dreaming. Of, of a buzzer beater and have the actual buzzer wake you in the morning. That was your selling point to me. As you're telling me all of the, the specs of this clock and it only costs however much it costs, that was that was your ultimate selling point. You said, and you can use it as an alarm. Do you, remember you have your phone. We do have old style alarm clocks. You want to get this big giant scoreboard to put, it wouldn't even fit on your nightstand. Do you remember that show that was on ABC the, the, where they would, uh, in three days, they would, build somebody a mansion and Ty what's his face was the host of the show and yes, it was AB's home makeover or whatever it was and they would always ask the kids they said what do you like and the kid would say it off the top of his head you know I kind of like baseball or something and and they would just go over the top and make everything baseball here's a baseball bat bed and here's a giant baseball that's going to hang down from your ceiling and and the walls will be papered with baseball cards and the the carpet will be a baseball diamond and there'll be a, a ballpark organ in the room constantly playing uh, a stadium Take anthems the and then the kid is right. now saying well I, you know i, I said i kind of like baseball but now everything is baseball that's what we should do we should you once played basketball you kind of like basketball Let's get a, a arena ready scoreboard as your as your alarm clock and a, you know a, a wood floor with the lane and all that stuff. It'd be uh, the model of ABC's home. Awesome. It wasn't I, home improvement. I can't wait to was. go on a long road trip and come home and to see how you've remodeled the room with our uh, the hardwood, the backboard for the headboard, and the uh, the the clock in there. That sounds pretty awesome. I could be there in my tearaway sweats and my right. bike shorts underneath. <laughs> Speaking of uh, bike shorts, I think you have a pants update that you wanted to make. Yes, somebody on Twitter sent me an article, a link to an article from USA Today that I think was from 2014. And it was an interview with Jim Harbaugh's wife. And she mentioned that she said his wife, Sarah, said, I've thrown his pants away many times. This is referring to his pleat front khakis. I've thrown his pants away many times. I threw them out when he went to the combine and he found a Walmart and bought another pair for $8. So the coaches who love their pleated khakis, including Jim Harbaugh back in that day, and his were $8 pleated khakis from Walmart. So there you go. If anyone's looking for them, I don't know if Walmart still has them or if they're still $8, but it's worth checking. As you know, I've done that. I've bought entire wardrobes. I've forgotten to... I, I have managed to go on vacation having forgotten to bring a suitcase. And the, my favorite part about this... And other wives and moms probably can relate to this is that when we've it's a little bit better now because our oldest two can pack for themselves. But when our kids were all younger and we would go on vacation, I would have to pack four kids bags. I'd have to pack my bag. I'd have to pack 
whatever they needed, whether it was diapers and, you know, diaper bag supplies. It was a, it takes a long time to plan out and pack for, for kids. And I'd pack for myself and then, you know, pack whatever we might need if we were staying at a house or whatever. And then you would say, all right, I'm going to go take 10 minutes and you'd pack your bag and all you needed was your clothes and your little things. That's not true. That is, that's 100% true. Wrong. But. I'm kidding. <laughs> but. That is right. Wrong. But. Uh, but throwback. But, so we were going to Cape Cod and not only did I have to pack all the kids stuff, but I had to pack the pack and play because we're driving out there. We, I think we we're renting a house. I had to pack so much stuff. It was a, you know, it takes a long time. I, I make sure all the laundry's done so I can get this stuff packed. So I think I asked you, no, I didn't ask you to do anything because since you, you are not a good packer of the vehicle, I also put the our bags and everything in the, in the car so that it fits. It, that's a spatial relationship. It's, it's a spatial it's awareness, like puzzle cube. kind of thing. Yes, yeah. I'm really good at that stuff. You, you, you aren't. And I enjoy it. So I did that. So we were driving, we got about 45 minutes from the house and you said, uh, I need to get something out of my bag. So we pulled over and you went and your bag wasn't in there. So I had packed everyone else's everything and I had had not packed your bag. I you had I had left it to you to carry your little bag from the dining room and put it in the car and you didn't. But you the can't see, what you can't thing, see wherever you're listening is Rebecca said you left it to me to carry my my one little bag, and you held your index finger and thumb together <laughs> as if it were a, a Barbie doll case. Your little purse. I, all you had to do was pack your little man purse. And because and, we're doing this in the basement, I'm looking at the, the Barbie dream house, and, and I forgot it. I, I At least in my credit, I didn't leave it on top of the car, as we've done that before, and driven away. Yes, and, and also to your credit, instead of making us turn around because we were about to get stuck in some nasty traffic, you said... Yeah, I'll just go to TJ Maxx and buy a few things when we get there. And we did. And you, it was a perfectly fine vacation. You probably spent $70 for a week's wardrobe. A week's wardrobe. I, I still have many of those clothes. Yeah, that's true. You I bought, I bought one Notre Dame t-shirt and one Boston College t-shirt. That lasted me the week. I still have them. There was your Cubs t-shirt from there, too? No, there was just two t-shirts. I mean, I was only gone a week. Right. I didn't need more than two <laughs> you t-shirts. You didn't need more than two t-shirts. But yeah, that was... I bought, I, I bought at a, at a uh, consignment shop. I bought the pants that Sarah Harbaugh threw away. Right. They're a little short and a little big in the waist, but yeah. uh, but other than that. So, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the whole experience of preparing for a vacation, and still to this day, is much different for you, packing your little man purse, and for me, packing all that stuff for me and the kids. But but you're you're the kind of woman who who smokes cigars at 14 <laughs> and goes into beard grooming shops just to <laughs> just to browse. I'm also the kind of woman who takes it personally when a mouse eats the peanut butter out of the trap. So last week when we came down to tape the podcast, I had just set a trap up in the kitchen. And after the podcast, we went up and the trap the peanut butter was still in it, and there was no mouse in it. So the score still remains mouse one, me zero. But then after that, we had somebody from pest control come, and he uh, he just did some stuff in the basement, right? Then he put like he just put steel wool steel in, in a wool, hole, yeah. the, the 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 hole that allowed the mouse to run up a pipe from the unfinished part of the basement to the kitchen. He he plugged that up. So we we have no more mice in our our kitchen. I think we may have one or two in the basement. Have you gone over to check to, to clear out those traps or oh, not? No. 
you don't like to do that. So I'll go check. I do it all the time. I'm the only one who does I it. I don't mind doing it at all. I picked one up, one of the dead ones by the tail that was just on the floor and handed it to the pest control guy oh, as if I were his valet. He should have been paying me. But so, no, I, I, I have no qualms whatsoever about it. That's one thing that I'm very happy to spend money on, and that is to have somebody else come in and remove the dead little things from the house. But still, since he came and took care of stuff, it, I still am losing to the mouse species one to zero. They're up on me. Once again, you're leaving the impression that we have a, a rodent infested house. We have one or two mice occasionally in the basement, maybe uh, three months of the year. That's true. And it bothers you that we might be leaving that impression. I guess it should bother me too. We don't want anyone thinking that. But we've, we, I mean, it's a moot point because it's not like we've we're just... having people come over or anything. That's it's not true. like anybody's ever set foot in here. But right. that's, if that's they ever true. did, you wouldn't want to leave them the wrong impression. Right. Well, I think now it's time for us to move on to viewer mail. And my favorite tweet came from David Yeager. And he said, in Linden Hills, where's Linden Hills? Minneapolis. Okay. He said, in Linden Hills, we call dress sweats swackies. And so I really like that one because last week we were talking about... uh, we were talking about dress sweats. So. Uh, I can see, I can picture a lot of uh, swackies in Linden Hills. Now that I think about it, describe Linden Hills for Linden somebody Hills, who's not it's, familiar it's, with it's, Minneapolis it's, suburb. It's, it's in Minneapolis itself, down by the lakes. If you've yeah. ever seen the film Jingle All the Way, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, it was shot largely in Linden Hills. Is it like an Edina-like community out that, that way? I, I don't think either Edina nor Linden Hills. They would both object to that characterization. Big, uh, well. The one thing we still have not heard a single word about and explanation for is our popularity in Florida, in particular in... Uh, it's called St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg, yes. Why people, why there are lots of people in St. Petersburg who listen to this podcast. So if anyone is listening to this podcast in St. Petersburg, please send us a, send us a tweet at Ball and Chain Pod. And let us know why you think there might be a number of people down there who listen. Remember when uh, they piped in the heavy metal to the papal nuncio in which Manuel Noriega was holed up in 20 years ago to try to How could torture I him? How possibly forget? <laughs> you, don't, you don't remember it. You don't remember because do. you were unaware of it no, the no, first time. I do. But anyway, I, they blasted. they blasted <laughs> loud music outside the... Who forgets the phrase papal nuncio, right? right? Outside the papal nuncio, N-U-N-C-I-O, look it up, um, where Manuel Noriega was holed up, a fugitive from justice. I like this. I like when you're at your informative slash condescending best, but please go on. (laughs) There was always the phrase papal nuncio in any Manuel Noriega story, and, and he was always, by journalistic custom, maybe even law, he had to be described as Panamanian strongman, right, Manuel right, Noriega. Right. Well, perhaps a group of parolees is being set, has been sentenced to listen, in St. Petersburg I'm talking, right. to our, you, you mentioned earlier in this podcast, you apologize for a non sequitur. What about this is not a non sequitur? This whole thing is a non sequitur. This whole th- we, we, we called attention to this time it seems disjointed. <laughs> As if it is ever jointed, right? What is St. Petersburg making you think of people being disjointed? <laughs> no, no, no. It's making me think that perhaps the reason it's, quote, you described it as popular in St. Petersburg. Maybe it's there, there, some, there are people who are being forced by a, a judge 
to listen to us as a well as you a didn't finish the correlation though the panamanian strongman what was the music that was being played as the torture device it was this podcast <laughs> we hadn't started it yet we hadn't even met but uh this was the torture device. Well, is there any more viewer mail? I, I apologize if this is being used as a torture device for anyone. But um, no, there was questions about the mouse update. There were, you know, talk about Jim Harbaugh's pants, the pleated khakis, the other, the tearaway pants. And somebody did send me a video of the back shaver. So I had seen pictures, but somebody actually sent on Twitter a video of, of it working. And you watched it? Um, yeah, it was interesting. It was it was a guy with a very hairy back, but super fit, of course. And it was a delightful video to watch right before uh, eating a snack on the plane. <laughs> well, once again, you found uh, just the right note of class and, and distinction to end on, I think. Well, if we need something a little more classy, how about this? Right before I was going to call the UConn at Texas women's basketball game, I was standing on the sidelines and I was talking to associate head coach Chris Daly and this gentleman walked by and we're in Austin and he just looked at the two of us and he said well don't the two of you look smart and as he kept walking I was like what exactly does that mean is that in Texas is that how you say someone looks nice or is it in our new PC world you can't tell someone they look nice so you tell them they look smart or or did we just look smart I I, I wanted to just reply to him you should see me when I'm wearing glasses. It was just a, a f- sentence, a phrase that I don't know if I've ever heard before, and I don't know if I'll ever hear again. What did you say? I think I said, I don't know what that means, but thank you. How gracious. How gracious. Well, I do know what ball and chain means, so Tom, Dick, and Harry, please play us out. <laughs> Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in this cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts your sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.